Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Pulse, a collaborative news highlight series covering the latest stories in the financial advisor industry, brought to you by Chalice Financial Network and SuccessionLink. This time on The Pulse, net-net, wirehouses lost advisors while RIAs gained them in 2019, sovereign funds are showing signs of age, and a look at who's getting rich in the green economy. Before we start, here's a question for you. What's the best way to motivate colleagues? Well, the views on that topic of one famous military leader may surprise you. We'll tell you more shortly. Wirehouse's Insurance BD's hemorrhage advisors in 2019. Two wealth management delivery channels saw net outflows of financial advisors in 2019. Wirehouse's and insurance company-owned broker-dealers. That's according to a report in Investment News. The four wirehouses, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, and UBS, saw a net headcount decrease of 1,398 advisors by Investment News Count. Insurance brokers coughed up a net loss of 653 advisors. Meanwhile, independent broker-dealers, names like LPL, Commonwealth, and AXA, saw a lot of movement in and out, but when the dust cleared, that channel gained 1,288 advisors in 2019. Most impressively, RIAs saw a net increase of 990 advisors last year. Meanwhile, regional brokerages, a category that includes outfits such as Raymond James, Baird, and RBC Wealth Management, also saw a net increase in advisor headcount, but only to the tune of 197. Investment News says shrinking channels suffering from more complex payout structures, carrot and stick incentives to cross-sell banking products, and other policies that have made it harder, but perhaps more desirable, for advisors to jump ship in recent years. Take it with a spoonful of skepticism, however. Despite all the precise-sounding numbers, Investment News research is based on anecdotal evidence rather than audited company disclosures. Sovereign Wealth Funds Get More Stodgy With Age Sovereign wealth funds are getting more conservative, according to a report by Reuters. These notoriously contrarian entities are owned by sovereign nations and entrusted with investing their country's money, typically derived from central bank reserves, for the benefit of their citizens. But lately, they've been falling into line with mainstream investing as they grow in size, says Reuters, citing a report by State Street Global Advisors. Comparing three periods, 2012 through 2014, 2014 through 2016, and 2016 through 2018, State Street says sovereign funds went from loving cash investments and disdaining equities in the earliest periods, the opposite of the global trend at the time. In the middle period, sovereign funds favored private markets and equities while shedding cash. Meanwhile, global funds put equities in the doghouse but shared the sovereign funds' admiration for private markets. In 2016 through 2018, the trend for sovereign wealth and global asset management was similar, differing primarily in the sovereign entities' more pronounced dislike of equities. The declining divergent between sovereign funds and broad market trends says it's a function of the national fund's growth, according to State Street's Elliot Hentov. Quote, as funds get larger, it can provide a constraint on the markets they want to invest in, he tells Reuters. Hentoff, who runs State Street's macro policy team, as its sovereign funds may still be backing contrarian plays, but as they mature, these allocations have become side bets, proportionally smaller chunks of overall holdings. Quote, you can still make selective contrarian bets, but your portfolio is likely to be more fixed, Hentoff says of the foreign fund's new perspective. And sovereign funds' new conservatism could affect market trends in a downturn. Quote, during crisis moments, some might again step in when valuations are low, 
but they'll be less contrarian, Pentoff tells Reuters, hearkening back to the role sovereign funds played in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis. Quote, they'll generally be more cautious about placing additional funds into private markets as it would require a significant relaxation of risk tolerance. And now for the Succession Link M&A Weekly Update. The practice listing of the week comes from Tigard, Oregon. This practice has 51 million in assets under management with a gross revenue of 321,000. The overall business mix is 100% fee-based and the number of accounts that make up this practice is 400 with an average client age of 57. This advisor is actively looking to sell their book of business with a view to retire soon. This practice is a bond fixed income stock-based business for over 33 years. The advisor introduced two bond portfolios and four aristocratic portfolios, all with strong track records, and is now looking to step away from their business. This is a 100% fee-based business with most individual-based bond portfolios, both in discretionary and non-discretionary accounts. There are no geographical preferences. However, the ideal candidate must have at least seven years of experience. Further information regarding the business breakdown, this practice is 98% managed money and 2% mutual funds, and the clear firm use is TD Ameritrade. Again, this practice has 51 million in assets under management with a gross revenue of 321,000 located in Tigard, Oregon. Pitfalls to avoid when merging your financial advisory firm. A larger market share, better overall revenue, and a larger presence all help businesses grow and are some of the many benefits to merging financial advisory firms. However, there are a few things that you should avoid in order to make sure your merger is successful. Number one, failing to find the right fit. Many advisors make the mistake of assuming that when two companies merge into one, things will just be business as usual. This is not the case. A merger should make for better business through a series of positive changes and adequate succession planning, which takes a lot of effort on everyone's part. If you have serious doubts about whether your company can fit with another on a philosophical or cultural level, walk away. Number two, lack of fundamental communication. Mergers can stir up a lot of negative emotions amongst existing employees. Will they still have jobs? Will the merger hinder their personal development? Is there still a shot at that promotion? It is absolutely crucial that those in leadership positions communicate with employees at all levels before, during, and after the merger. What's more, rather than simply lecturing employees on upcoming changes, make sure that you ask for their feedback. Number three, failing to integrate a project plan. Developing a plan to merge the two advisory firms together as painlessly as possible, all while keeping the vision for the future in mind, is imperative to your overall success. You need to develop both long and short-term goals now rather than focusing solely on the present and you need to create a succession plan so that you can identify which people are capable of assuming important roles. Number four, making growth seem scary. A merger, more often than not, results in a brand new organization. This makes growth seem terrifying, not only to junior advisors and assistants, but also to some of the individuals in management positions. Throughout the entire merger process, it is important to keep everyone positive, motivated, and excited for the future. Although change is inevitable, this change is a good thing for the new practice and everyone in it. Number five, failing to get help when you need it. Most financial advisors only merge with other companies once in their lifetimes and professional help certainly exists. You will likely find yourself surprised at how much time is involved and many of the procedures are incredibly complex, particularly when it comes to the legal aspects of things. Hire a good lawyer to oversee the merger. 
and make sure that you hire a solid tax professional to help you mitigate any potential tax risks and liabilities along the way. Doing so may cost you a little more in the short term, but in the grand scheme of things, it is a very wise decision. Merging your practice does not have to take all of your time or cause you huge amounts of stress. Oftentimes, making sure that you find the right fit, maintaining an open line of communication, and integrating a plan for both now and in the future is all that is needed to successfully complete a merger and increase your overall revenue. Some are making a killing in the green economy. Recently, several interesting stories about very wealthy people and the environment have appeared in Bloomberg News. One article spotlights a handful of rising billionaires who have made their fortune in the green economy. The top five on this list are Zen Yiquan of CATL, an electric battery maker, China's quote-unquote green net worth of $16.7 billion. Elon Musk of the all-electric car maker Tesla, U.S. GNW $14.6 billion. Alois Wabin, a wind turbine maker, Enercon, Germany, GNW $7.3 billion. Anthony Pratt, recycled paper mogul, Australia, GNW $6.8 billion. Li Zengu, a solar panel maker, Longi, China, GNW $3.4 billion, shared with partners Li Chunan and Li Jian. Jose Manuel Entrecanales, of all-renewable energy supplier Asiona, Spain, GNW $2.9 billion. On the flip side, another Bloomberg piece focuses on billionaires and billionaire clans whose fortunes are derived from fossil fuels. At the top of this list are the Koch family, U.S. net worth $150 billion, the House of Saud, Saudi Arabia, NW $100 billion, Warren Buffett, U.S., NW $89.3 billion, Mukesh Ambi, India, NW $58.6 billion, Leonid Mikkelsen, Russia, NW $42.7 billion, shared with Gennady Timchenko. A few months back, Bloomberg compiled a list of the biggest landowners in the U.S., there are fewer household names at the top of this 100-person list, but lower down comes familiar names such as Amazon chief Jeff Bezos, Subway Restaurant's co-owner Pete Buck, CNN founder Ted Turner. Altogether, the top 100 U.S. landowners own roughly 2% of the U.S. landmass, which is approximately the size of Florida. How do you get the best out of your coworkers? Starts with trust, according to U.S. General George Patton, whose daring strategies helped the Allies win World War II. Quote, never tell people how to do things, Patton once said. Tell them what to do, and they will surprise you with their ingenuity. That wraps up this episode of The Pulse, brought to you by Chalice Financial Network and Succession Link. Until next time. <laughs>